Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Professional Insights Podcast. Third, yeah, third, third season. Yeah, it is third, the third wave. season. Um, yeah, the third <laughs> season being recorded in the third wave. Thank you, COVID-19. Um, yeah, uh, thank you very much to our sponsors, Brand Boulevard, not COVID-19, Brand Boulevard. Thank you. Uh, and uh, for, for all the help and the, the, that you do, uh, my name is Brandon Curry. I'm Jeff Collins. Josh Bond. And Trevor Lindy. And we have our, um, our, our, another, one of our, like, yeah, our favorite guests. Well, yeah, we'll say that. <laughs> you know, Grant, Grant LaFleche can go pound it. But oh. no, it's, uh, no, I love, I love, I love Grant. Come on. <laughs> I just love taking, I just love taking, busting his chops. Um, Sarah Ives is here. Hello, Sarah. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Thanks for having me back. Oh. I think this is my number three. Yes, four, yep. but it's three. Yeah, yeah, three. Yeah, three. Okay, so uh, we'll go. We'll go. Um, we'll, we'll touch very briefly. Can you please tell us what has happened to your company since we've last talked to you? Sure. So I think we last spoke. Oh man, it must have been like early or mid fall of 2020. Yep. So since then, the company I work for, Distributed Bio. <laughs> Uh, we got acquired by a large contract research organization called Charles River Laboratories. Um, there's about, I think, more than 14,000 employees. It's a global company. They work with biotech and pharmaceutical companies around the globe, and they have touched almost every drug that has come to market, both for small molecule and biologics. So it was... Um, it was a long time coming where we've been in partnership with them for more than two years before the acquisition. So it was all, you know, hush hush before the acquisition. So I couldn't talk about it, but on December 31st, 2020, we were officially acquired by Charles river and Charles river purchased the services part of distributed bio. So that's the part where we discover and engineer antibody drugs um, as therapeutics. And then the therapeutic discovery or the therapeutic pipeline of distributed bio was spun out as a separate company called Centivax. Um, so those are all the therapeutics that were not run as services for other pharma and biotech, but the internal development pipeline. So now there's two companies, there's Charles River and there's Centivax. Um, my role, it didn't change too much. So now I'm just an employee of Charles River Labs. That is my day job. Um, I am the director of strategic partnerships there at the distributed bio site. They're still calling us distributed bio to set us apart from the other trails over sites. There's actually one like across the parking lot that does um, like neurological research. Um, so like yeah, a lot of big changes. Neurological research? Um, I think they work on studying how new and upcoming small molecule drugs will behave in the brain. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's called Brains. It's a company called Brains Online that they acquired a couple of years ago. Uh, but yeah, so now there's two Charles River sites in South San Francisco, and we're happy to be part of the Charles River family. It's, it's actually a pretty easy transition because we're all, I think, ready for it for a long time, having that structure of a big company and everything that goes with it. And now I work for a large publicly traded company and kind of settling into that lifestyle. So, and more responsibility since I'm taking on 
a slightly different role. So that's exciting too, to keep things fresh. Um, and then in addition to that, I am still working with Centivax, leading the flu vaccine program. I'm actually an advisor to Centivax. So basically like a consultant and I am taking the lead in making sure animal studies move forward and using our money that we got from the Gates Foundation grant. Mm -hmm. And those studies are underway. So I'm working on that as well. Are you filming Pandemic 2 yet? <laughs> a lot of people have asked me that. <laughs> I haven't heard anything about a season two, but that would be pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, it'd be cool, especially where we're at now with everything, you know? So it'd be interesting. Yeah, because it came out like right before it hit and then it'd be interesting to do like a post-mortem mm. like well were we ready but maybe it's too soon for all that and like i don't know if people want to watch a show about a virus <laughs> at this point I guess we're gonna see. <laughs> we just want to watch shows about people hugging each other it's like i just want to shake someone's hand it's yeah well like it it is kind of scary because the flu pandemic is still lurking out there on the horizon like it will still happen yeah um, and we are obviously not ready. So, uh, I mean, everything that was said in that documentary either came true, and if it hasn't yet, it will be true at some point in the future. So um, definitely still worth the investment from a public health and a scientific and a societal perspective to get our ducks in a row for when it does happen. Because uh, we we got spared with the coronavirus pandemic with the fact that although it is a horrible virus and a deadly disease and we still don't understand the full effects of post-covid um, recovery it it is manageable and the death rate is low um, we won't always be that lucky with pandemics so um, but that that's what makes me excited to work in the career that i do and go to work every day and research new therapies so you can save lives thousands and thousands of lives right so so, yeah, Millions, I guess potentially the question yeah. that I get all the time. So there's a couple that I, I, I so one are, is your flu vaccine on ferrets now? Yes. So that's some of the big updates we have since the last time we spoke is I initiated, um, you know, with our team and our collaborators two animal studies um, with the Gates Foundation money there is a study in ferrets and a study in pigs and they're actually almost identical studies but run in different species basically for two different reasons so the ferrets um so both studies are an adjuvanting study so it's testing out um a couple formulations of our centivax flu vaccine our universal vaccine um and each um, cohort of animals has a different adjuvant so we're testing out which adjuvant will provide the best serological response, like the best antibodies after the fewest number of shots. So we're hoping to do like one and done, like just one shot, um, but maybe a shot and a boost kind of like we have for the COVID vaccines would also be acceptable. Um, if it's a shot and two boosts, that's sort of less ideal, but we're looking to reduce total adjuvant exposure by having less total shots, but also getting a strong enough response that will protect against um, future and all versions of flu. So this is just an adjuvanting study. These animals will not get sick with influenza. We're just um, injecting them with the vaccine and then drawing their blood every 28 days to monitor their antibody response. 
Um, and then once those studies are done, then we'll do a challenge study. So we'll pick whichever one was the winner from the adjuvant study, and then we vaccinate the animals, and then they get sprayed in the nose with influenza, and then that's the true test. Like, did they get sick or did they not? Does the vaccine work? Um, yeah, <laughs> so I'm definitely nervous for yeah. that. And, and we're actually making it extra hard on ourselves because for the challenge study, we're going to formulate our vaccine as if it were the year 2008. So we only have information from influenza from about 1918 when we have this, the first sequence through 2008. So that's the information we'll use to formulate our vaccine. And then we're going to infect them with the H1N1 2009 swine flu. Ooh. So that's a future virus. <laughs> Um, and that's also that big pandemic uh, shift event when everybody got sick because no one had prior immunity because the 2008 vaccines did not work at all against the 2009 virus. And now all H1N1s that are circulating since 2009 look relatively similar to that one. Um, so it's like a big shift event. And so that's what we're going to do to our animals, both our pigs and our ferrets, is we're going to test them. Does it future-proof them? When's this done? Um, let's see. So the, the ferret and the pig adjuvant studies will be done in June. So I'm hoping by the end of June, we'll have the readouts. Let's see. So end of June, they're, they'll get their last blood draw. So we could start as early as July for the challenge study. And then it's only like a two or three month study, just enough time to like give them the vaccine, maybe give them a boost, wait a little while and then infect them. So what happens if everything's fully perfect it works like it's supposed to if they're fully if if it's perfect then all the animals that got the centivax flu vaccine will not get sick they won't have any virus replicating in their trachea their lungs or their nose they won't have any symptoms they won't have any fever they won't have any cough and then all the animals that are in the the negative control group that receive a vaccine of salt water should all get sick um, and we also have uh, like a positive control arm where um, they're going to get vaccinated, I think, with the 2009 um, antigen mix. So they definitely should not get sick. Um, so basically have a negative control, positive control. And then we're actually testing out a couple different formulations of Cenivax. Like 2008 was a long time ago. So we want to make sure that we have like a more modern for formulation. So we're going to do like a like like a 2018 or 2019 formulation just to make sure that everything's all good. Um, and we have a couple different variations for tweaking it. Um, which actually brings me to the reason why we're doing pigs and ferrets. Um, ferrets are the one animal model that is required for flu before you can start a human clinical trial. Huh? It's kind of odd. <laughs> like normally in drug development, it, you go from doing stuff on the bench, like in tubes um, to mice. And then once you prove that it works in mice, then there's usually a study in monkeys. Um, it may just be a toxicity study or there may be some efficacy involved there depending on um, the disease. So it goes mice, monkey, and then humans. Um, for flu, it's a little different because mice don't actually get sick with flu. And um, you can use mice in flu research, it's just not the best model and monkeys Again, monkeys have been used, but they just, they aren't really like the gold standard for testing flu because they don't get sick in the way that humans do. 
but ferrets actually do. I don't uh. really know why, but <laughs> they develop the same symptoms. They get the cough, the fever, the malaise, um, and they produce very, very strong antibody titers to flu vaccines. So that's just what is used. Um, and it's a lot cheaper than an, than a ferret is cheaper than a monkey as well. So I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. that. <laughs> Monkeys are very, very expensive. It is very hard to do monkey research. So we're happy about that we don't have to do that. So. So basically that's why we're doing ferrets is because that's our path to our phase one human clinical trials. Do the adjuvant study in ferrets and then do the challenge study in ferrets. And then we can start a clinical trial. So we are right already, we're starting to prepare material to file an IND, which is investigational new drug. It's all the paperwork you need to actually start a phase one trial. And you have to get FDA approval just to do that. Um, so that's all in the, in the works. And then the pig is because, well, one, having it work in multiple species just makes the data package a lot more robust. So we know it's not just like a fluke or just a ferret specific thing. Like if it works in pigs and it works in ferrets, it's probably gonna work in humans. Um, but the more pressing reason, re reason why we're doing it in pigs is because um, we would like to sell it on the veterinary market, which I think we maybe touched on last time. But there's a, a huge need for a universal flu vaccine in the veterinary market too, because when there's a bad strain going around for humans, it either started in pigs or is also infecting pigs or infect them the next year. But the pig and the swine farm industry is like a reservoir for flus. So like lots of different circulating flus, lots of chances for um, genetic recombination of influenza. Um, so, and then when farms do get an outbreak, they have to quell all of their animals, which is, very sad and disruptive to the marketplace and that particular business and the whole economy, especially when it's like huge factory farms and basically we want to avoid having to do that at all costs. So if we can um, eliminate influenza uh, reservoir in swine, then we think that it will not only help with spreading among pigs, but also it'll help with mitigating the spread from pigs to humans, which is where a pandemic will probably come from, either from birds to humans, pigs to humans, or birds to pigs to humans, like all three. So you're proactive rather than reactive. That's great. <laughs> like yeah. It, it, and it's also just a way for us to make money um, on the way to human clinical trials, because those are expensive. Mm -hmm. And while um, we, we would like to use basically um, grant money and money that we can make rather than borrowing money like from investors yeah. is sure. to the extent that we can. And having a viable product on the veterinary market is a way for us to actually make some cash to fund later stage clinical trials. And it's again, great proof of concept that if it works in pigs, it's a viable product, it's administered to you know, hundreds to thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of pigs every year, it's safe, it works. That's a pretty good indication that it's going to do just fine in humans. Too. I think I'll be, uh, don't worry, I'll fly down. I'll do it for free. Uh, if you want a human to, to, to do the, the needle. Yeah, we'll fine. volunteer, Brandon. We'll volunteer. Um, yeah, don't. You can have them. Perfectly healthy. It's so funny. Skip the pigs and the ferrets, go right to I'll Brandon. I'll probably get a third eye, but you know what? I don't care. I won't, I won't get the flu, so it's fine. 
I've had so many people reach out to me on social media because they watch a show and in the show it's like, okay, we needed a shot and six booster shots to get these really great neutralizing antibodies. And so the whole like premise of our part in the show is like, can we reduce it down to three shots and then down to one and done? And so many people were like, if I don't ever get flu again, and if it prevents a pandemic, like, sure, I'll take seven shots. Like, yeah. why, like, why keep going? Just stop Just, there. As long as I, I get, yeah, I'll, I'll you know, trip to California. I get to be in, in a nice, warm climate. I'll consider it a vacation and an investment into my future. That's the way I look at it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Can we do that on a podcast where you inject him with I'll flu? I'll do it. And we'll, I, 100%. We'll I'll do it on the podcast. Well, that will be the next Netflix thing. Make it happen. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, is there some ethical <laughs> concerns? I think I'd want to make sure that... Um, let, let, them, I, let them meet Brandon for like an hour and there'll be no concerns anymore. It won't they'll, be. they'll volunteer them. Yeah. Once it looks good in a challenge study, then <laughs> I would feel a lot better about that. Fine. Um, because we... We know it makes good antibodies, but whether or not they're truly protective, the safety I'm less concerned about. Um, I mean, we still have all the rigorous safety protocols that we'll have to pass before starting a phase one clinical trial. But the material itself is it's just inert protein. It's a subunit-based vaccine. So there's no live virus. There's no whole virus. There's no dead virus. There's no weakened virus. It's just like the... Um, some surface coat proteins around the outside of influenza, just those little proteins by themselves. So there's no genetic material. There's no way that the virus can replicate. It's just these little chunks that are like uh, engineered in a laboratory without the virus itself. So it should be safe. And all the adjuvants that we're testing out in our study are adjuvants that have a route forward to the clinic. So they're either already approved adjuvants in existing vaccines, or they've been through at least a phase one clinical trial. In for some vaccines. So oh, you said the magic word there. Have you been vaccinated yet for COVID-19? <laughs> I have. Um, I, I feel very fortunate. Um, a little bit guilty, actually, because... You, you had an extra like, one. You, <laughs> you saw it I got the Pfizer vaccine. So Charles River employees, um, at least at our site, we, in the county I work in, which is San Mateo County, uh, were classified as food and agriculture workers, mm. which is a, a little bit strange to me because, well, I'm not going to question it, but somehow I got paperwork from HR and I was able to schedule an appointment um, at the Stanford Clinic in Redwood City. And so I got my first shot and I actually got my second shot two weeks ago today. So I am supposedly fully protected now or as good as it's going to get. And I just feel, I feel incredibly fortunate and um, very optimistic about science that we got to this yeah. point, even though it's a year into the pandemic, but like, mm -hmm. wow, it just, it was such a turning point for me because like, this is the moment when the pandemic shifts from ramping up to ramping down, at least for me, because like, I no longer yeah. have to worry about my own safety yeah. as much. I mean, I still worry about the safety of all my friends and family that haven't gotten the vaccine, but it's just like, such a relief knowing that at least mentally when I wear a mask it's more just for show yeah. and it's not because I'm actually concerned about yeah. dying from COVID. We're all so friends in the show here. Can you mail us some like some vaccines like just eight of them? <laughs> we're trying. <clears throat> Did wish. you get any symptoms at all? 
the first one I did not my arm was a little sore for like a day or two but I felt totally fine the second one um I slept 12 hours 11 or 12 hours that night that I got it but I also I don't know if it was because I was fatigued or if I just cleared my meetings the next day and didn't send the alarm because I think like I have a tendency to just sleep 11 hours if no one wakes me up <laughs> right so but I did get hives um oh. yeah I had hives for about 48 hours after getting it uh it was didn't you tell us the story sure. where you had hives before didn't you tell us a story about were you trying to go there again? I don't know. Yeah, the, the, that was the trip to North, yeah. North Dakota, right? Or, or Oh, here. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the bed bugs. I had, I got. Oh, the bed bugs, bed yeah. Bugs, yes, in Montana. Yeah, similar to hives, very itchy. Actually, the bed bugs are 100 million times worse because it's the kind of itch where you want to take like a sharp knife and scrape your skin off. <laughs> like, there's nothing you can think about other than just filleting your body. <sighs> like, can't sleep, can't eat can't do anything it's it reminded me so I've never had a migraine but it reminded me of like friends I have that have said that like all like their migraine is just so piercingly awful that they're nauseous and they can't even think about anything that's like how it is it's just like blinding itch um, but the hives was from the vaccine that I got it was sort of alarming because I've never had any response to a vaccine before like ever and I was like, what is this? And I just, I took a Benadryl and it went away. But yeah. In Ontario here, for Pfizer, the government's trying to stretch it for four months between first dose and second. That, yeah, they that was something. More protection and all that. So that's something I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. And, and keep in mind too, in the province of Quebec, what they're doing is rather than doing the shot and the booster, like they're supposed to with the, the Pfizer, they're just, administering as many people as they can with the first shot and then they're worrying about them later right for the second yeah it's an interesting idea so I, I have read about it and thought about it a little bit so it's definitely a deviation from the clinical trials because in the trials they gave the shot and then after either 21 or 28 days depending on which trial they were administered their booster shot um, they didn't test at least to my knowledge, they didn't test a cohort of patients that received one shot and that was it. Um, so they only have data about one shot up until they got their second shot. So they can only draw blood. But once they've gotten their second shot, they're now like the data is like contaminated with the new shot, you know, so you can't use it on its own. But based on what I know from vaccine science and doing our own animal studies and just in vaccines in general is that You'll definitely want to wait a minimum of 21 to 28 days between shots because you'll have the highest antibody titers around day 28, um, really no matter what the vaccine is. Um, but the booster shot is less time sensitive. Okay. Uh, so my best guess is that as long as you get it like within a year or so, um, it's going to function just the same. So, so do you think that's um, a smart idea then for the government to try to get as much in the first shot as possible? And then the second one, so this might actually be smart. We never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, because the idea is if you can vaccinate more people with their first shot, mm -hmm. we know that immunity should be pretty good, even with just one shot. So getting more vaccines and more people sooner is theoretically better than getting two shots in less, vac in less people. Um, so 
it's sort of like an ethical problem though because they never test it you're going outside the scope of what they know from the clinical trial so it's sort of like experimenting on people which is hasn't always worked out the best in hindsight and it's you know put certain groups and people at a disadvantage because you know widespread population testing for any medicine is probably generally frowned upon um, but it I don't really see any reason why extending the timeline between booths should be that detrimental and probably getting it in more people is net positive. So, but so we gotta, I think we got to put context to your answer though. And that is because we haven't been able to procure enough vaccines to meet the 28 day timelines. So we need to, you need to understand that, that. I don't think you maybe, maybe you do, or you don't know that piece, but that is a, a, a key context to your answer, uh, this is not something that the government just went, you know what, we're only gonna buy 30 million of them or whatever, and we're just gonna inoculate everybody and then wait four months or three months. It was because of the retooling of Pfizer's plant in Europe, because the fact that we do not have um, pharmaceutical companies uh, uh, making um, vaccines here in Canada, um, that we pre predominantly only have generic companies that make generic drugs here in Canada. This is something that the governments had to do in order to your first point, get as, get needles in as many arms as possible in the hopes that Pfizer's, you know, um, factory gets back yeah. up to speed and we start getting, we getting it in, in, in the background. So that's more of a context piece. Got it. Yeah, it is added complexity with the distribution issues and even some issues in manufacturing and storage of the vaccines and transport. It's it's definitely going to be an imperfect system for the entirety of the rollout, I think. But if you end up getting a vaccine and can't get your second shot until um, maybe two, three months later, I would not be concerned. Um, you'll still have pretty good protection after one shot. And the second shot will just ramp it up we're, a little we're more. Still, once we're still we're still at like so, seventy plus. That's well, fifty, 50 plus. plus to book your appointment, but yeah, well, at least you're booking, you know. But so only our seventies for the most part. Um, seventy pluses are getting the jab. So, question, oh, wow. question for you, Sarah. Uh, um, and so, on a side note, what does Bill Gates sound like whispering in your ear after you got the va Pfizer vaccine? Just want to quickly know if you don't mind. <laughs> Well, is he coming in any coming like no? A little bit of whispering, no. So my 5G on my phone is fully activated. Good. Oh. And I felt yes. Okay, great. I felt the microchip. It just like migrated from my shoulder up into my yeah. brain, and I can hear these like sonar waves pulsing. Amazing. Um, it's. Yeah, and I hear him whispering to me. Actually, if I had a like straight line in his stream of consciousness, that would be so amazing because he reads a ton of books and he reads every day and he's just like on top of everything and has obviously spouting with amazing ideas. So if that happened, <laughs> I would be so happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? Sign me up. Like, give me 1% of that. <laughs> so, okay, on a serious note, uh, um, the, the question I did have, could you just walk us through in layman's terms? The, we have obviously the, and if I get it wrong, please correct me. Um, you have the AstraZeneca-Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, which is your typical, um, you know, 
for lack of a better description, dead virus being injected. It's something that we've had for, you know, close to 100 years, lots of data, lots of, you know, clinical data on it. And then you've got the Pfizer, Moderna, and I believe Johnson and Johnson as well, being the mRNA, um, that, this new technology that they've been working on for quite a while. Um, Pfizer, admittedly, they've been working on it a lot since 2011. Could you just take our listeners through the two differences? But before you do that, is your, is your universal vaccine yeah. not based on the mRNA? Okay. It is not. It, so our universal flu vaccine is based on protein subunits, so it's, uh, hemagglutinin proteins, which decorate the surface okay. of influenza virus. So it's actually, that tech is none of the current COVID vaccines. Um, and, and you're right, so the AZ is more of a traditional vaccine. The J&J is actually not an mRNA okay. vaccine. Um, it's, I believe it's an adeno, a modified adenovirus. So it, it's a little bit more similar to AZ than mRNA, but it's, it's still very different tech than AstraZeneca. I think it uses like a CMV promoter, um, so it's an adenovirus that infects some species of monkey, I believe, and they've basically adapted it to contain parts of the coronavirus. Uh, but the mRNA vaccines are new. So these are the first two of their kind to be approved for use. Uh, but mRNA vaccines have been studied for a long time. I think clinical trials have been going on or at least animal studies for almost two decades. Okay. So there's been a lot of research for them for various uh, diseases. Influenza is one of the biggest ones, but it's one of those things where it was sort of like an out there technology and there was no, the government basically didn't see a need to start funding it aggressively um, because we had okay options already out there, like for the flu vaccine. Um, that's, I guess, one of the issues with biotech innovation is that no one wants to spend the money to do the innovation until we're in like a crunch scenario where we absolutely need to to survive. That's just kind okay. of how it works. It's like there's just the government doesn't want to spend money on something that they don't know is going to happen. Like if they don't know for sure if and when a pandemic will happen, why would they spend money on making a coronavirus vaccine? But there's plenty of labs all over the country and the world that have been thinking about this problem for a long time and trying to get funding to work on coronavirus vaccines and different vaccine technology in general, like mRNA vaccines. Um, but they're, I think they're a great technology because manufacturing is super simple. You don't need to use live virus or grow it in chicken eggs like we do for the seasonal flu vaccine. Um, it's basically you're just making DNA or RNA. And because it's just a series of nucleotides, you can basically just print it. Um, just kind of like a normal printer, but instead of printing on ink and paper, you're just printing um, nucleotides, which are just, you know, a, it's a chemical, just a chemical structure. So you just need the right starting materials and mix it up with the right stuff, and then you can print out the nucleotides in the right order. Um, so manufacturing is relatively simple, um, and it's easy to update the vaccine. So like when we need to update it for like new variants or even new viruses, it's pretty easy just to just plug and chug. Like, well, this is the old sequence, let's put in the new sequence, and all of a sudden it's making the new mRNA. 
Um, so it's like logistically simple. The tricky parts are in um, the stability of it because RNA is not particularly stable at four degrees or at room temperature. So they have to do a little bit of formulation work. And that's why those vaccines have a, I think it's minus 80 or maybe minus 20 now that they have to be stored and transported. But um, it's a great technology because it doesn't involve live virus. Basically, you get a shot of the, the RNA. It's actually called mRNA for messenger RNA. Um, and it's the RNA that the virus uses to uh, transcribe its genetic material into the physical protein. And it's only the mRNA for the spike protein, which is one of the surface coat proteins on the coronavirus, on SARS-CoV-2. So basically you get shot with the mRNA and it will go into your cells and into your bloodstream and various immune cells that you have, I think specifically dendritic cells, will recognize that as foreign genetic material and they will basically start shuttling it in to um, different cells of your body so that they can um, process that RNA and actually make that spike protein as a little example. like hey, what is this? This is foreign. This is what it makes. What is this thing? And then once your cells start displaying that, um, those bits of that spike protein, then your immune system will come and make antibodies against it. And the antibodies are what protects you from future infection. Um, and that's basically what the whole concept of B cell mediated immunity is your, your B cells produce antibodies that will recognize that bit of the spike protein um, and those antibodies will protect you. And there's also some T cell mediated immunity, which is like uh, basically when that spike protein is chopped up and kind of turned inside out and displayed on certain types of cells, then your T cells will come along and recognize it too. So it's like basically a double gated system to make sure that if any actual coronavirus enters your body that's the one right away your immune system can be like okay i've got b cells and t cells i know exactly what to do we're going to get rid of this immediately and then your body will actually clear out the virus before you ever um would feel sick or the before the virus would have chance to replicate inside you so that you can't spread it to others so so then the astrazeneca that is the one where you're getting um uh, either a dead virus or in, in like the MMR vaccine, uh, you're actually getting a live virus, um, right? And so like they, and then that's by injecting that into your body, your body attacks it, right? Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I actually don't know, is, is the AZ uh, live attenuated or is it dead? I actually- I don't know that either. I knew this at MMR is live though, correct? I think so. Because it was, I thought I read somewhere something about mumps needing to be, having to be live because, or measles. I can't remember which one. Um, yeah, I, these are things I do at some point and I just, I'm not exactly sure right now, but yeah, so the, a, oh, the AZ, that's the one with Oxford. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. It looks like they're also using the adenovirus. Yeah, the monkey, it's a chimpanzee adenovirus. So it basically, 
it, it's kind of like a Frankenstein virus where there's parts of the adenovirus um, and then I assume displaying the spike protein from um, coronavirus. Uh, but they use a chimpanzee adenovirus because um, it can infect human cells, but I don't think it can actually replicate inside of them. Got it. Yeah. So, so what is your, what's your, if you can have an opinion to the people, because there's obviously because of, because of the EU predominantly having this massive debate over blood clots over AstraZeneca and, you know, it, it's now then reached North America. Um, and, yeah. and I know what any epidemiologist or biologist would, would say, which would be just take any vaccine you can get your hands on. But I mean, there's, I mean, we, we were seeing some studies that are basically, you've got like a one in 500,000 chance of getting a blood clot from AstraZeneca versus a one in 1000 chance of getting COVID-19 based on Ontario numbers uh, in the last week. Can you just walk our listeners yeah. through that and just explain what this is? Because people are like, they're freaked out. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting dilemma because while they have shown that there is some risk associated with the AZ vaccine, the risk of developing and or dying from a severe blood clot is much, much lower than actually getting COVID and dying from that. Um, so if you're purely looking at it from a risk perspective, it would be smarter to just get the AstraZeneca vaccine, um, because chances are you're not going to get a clot and you're not going to die from it, um, versus you don't get a vaccine and then you get COVID and then you die. Um, but it's, again, it's an ethical problem because if even one person like I could see the argument that if one person dies from a blood clot that's caused by the vaccine, that's one person too many. Therefore, the vaccine should not be given because it is unsafe. Um, so that's where like science and public health, they, they're intertwined and it's always going to be this push and pull of like what's better for the one person versus what's better for the general population. And there's just no way to quantify the value of a human life in that way. Like from a purely like statistical and populational perspective, yeah, it's better to just get, give the vaccine to people. But like, what about on an individual level? What if you're that person that gets that bug clot? So it's, it's a tough question. And I, I don't know what the best route is, but I think at least in Europe, they've been taking the more conservative stance of pulling it. It's, I think my understanding that like something like 20 countries have stopped distributing it. Yes. Um, it's, I don't know what the exact yeah. number is either, but yes, it, it's quite high. Yeah. One thing that I was actually thinking about when I was reading about this is that, so in the clinical trials for all these vaccines, they were presumably monitoring the participants for COVID infection. So they'd get probably a COVID test every X number of days, or at least before they got their vaccine and were being very carefully tracked for symptoms and fever and all that. So basically what we know about the safety from the clinical trials is based on people that were COVID negative when they got the vaccine. But now they're rolling out these vaccines to 
millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people. And they don't require you to get a COVID test before you get your vaccine. Right. So due to the high amount of asymptomatic spread and people that I guess what I'm saying is I think a lot of people have been vaccinated globally that are infected with COVID and don't know it, or maybe they do. And they're just like, don't know the difference, but they're infected with COVID and then they get the vaccine. And that was never studied for safety in the clinical trials. We don't know what will happen if your body is actively fighting a COVID infection, and then you get a double whammy of a high dose of um, spike protein or whatever exact vaccine technology is the one that you got, all of a sudden you're going to have this crazy immune response. And we don't know if that's safe. And I'm wondering if some of these side effects that are popping up as the vaccine rollout increases is could be due to people that were sick and didn't know it when they got the 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 vaccine i think another part that kind of irks me is like i was reading about it in europe when they were pulling it like a maybe two weeks ago and all of the people all the 13 people at the time that had a severe clot were people that are in like high risk jobs. So teachers, ICU nurses, people that have basically a greater chance than the average person of contracting COVID. So I'm wondering if they had COVID and then got the vaccine and then got that blood clot because it can cause, oh, we already know the virus causes a lot of spooky effects, especially, especially with the vascular system. So I just, I don't think we know enough about what happens if you get that double whammy. That's actually a really, that's very, wow. Yeah, you're right. I never even thought of it that way. Look at you, Sarah. Just a little wealth of knowledge. That's, I, I, I didn't even, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Did you get tested? Did you get tested for COVID before you got your vaccine? I did. So through my work, we actually get tested every Monday and Thursday. Um, because that's the only way that we're allowed to come to work. So we used to get tested once a week or once every two weeks in the beginning of the pandemic. But then once the testing sites were able to ramp up capacity, like starting in, I don't know, May or July or something, uh, we got tested twice a week. So I've been tested now over 55 times, I think, for COVID. Did your test the one with the big swab too, the back of your... Your throat? Uh, I had a few of those. I had a few of the deep brain ones when I was in Wisconsin because when I was visiting family for five weeks, I just wanted to make sure I was negative Um, because that was actually the only time I've seen family in 14 months. And I I was like, I'm going to the drive-thru clinic at least once a week and getting a test. But um, the ones we have at work are self-administered and they're like the shallow ones. So you just like I go, I just go extra long because I want to make sure I'm really getting it in there. <laughs> so I do like 10 seconds in each nostril, but it's not too bad. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm tested every Monday and Thursday and I have been for more than six months. So I'm pretty confident that I, I'm like 99.9% sure that I was COVID negative at the time I received my first yeah. dose and my second dose of the vaccine. Yeah, our whole family got tested. My my eleven year old almost punched the nurse when they jammed it up his nose. It was, oh, it he was shocked. My, it made my eyes. Oh, water. your eyeball waters. You're like, oh my god, like, you can feel it moving your eyeball. Oh, <laughs> now have you got it, Brandon or no, Trevor or Josh? Any no. you? No, I haven't. No? 
we got it right away and it's it's uncomfortable for about six seven seven seconds so the yeah what what about how about if someone has already had it let i mean my mom and dad both have the astrazeneca uh dad i don't know if you recall but he he got COVID in november um they said he could not go for a test subsequently for at least 60 to 90 days because he would continually test positive because of the antibodies in the system um, which means he hasn't been able to go to work in the U.S. because um, he's he's basically he's a, a consultant, for lack of a better description. Um, would would that have also someone who's maybe you know sixty ninety days removed from recovering from the the, the virus? Would that have a play into potentially getting blood clots? So it's really interesting that they said that he couldn't go to work. So most of the tests are PCR-based tests, and they're testing for the presence of the genetic material for the virus. So as long as you clear the infection, that test will be negative. If they gave him a positive test because of an antibody test, then yes, he could test positive for 60 to 90 days or much longer. Because if you get sick, you might have antibodies for a year which is a good thing. That's why that's you whole, get antibodies right. after you get sick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you should not be shedding virus. You should not have an active infection for 90 days. That seems odd. Um, it must be the, the antibody. Yeah. Cause he could not get it. They said to him, they could not, he could not get a negative test for the next 60 to 90 days, which means his employer would not allow him back into the, to, to the plant. Right. Cause he can't prove that he has a negative test. That's happened with a couple of employers here in Niagara. That's very odd. He should just get a PCR test and it will be negative as long as he's recovered. Hmm. That's just, yeah, that seems very odd. Yeah, because um, when you think about for the sports, when a, uh, an athlete gets in a professional team, they can't go back. And usually if they do get it two weeks later, yeah. they're back. But they have to do like a negative test three or four days in a row and then they can go back. Yeah, because they're PCR they're not, tests. They're 90 days, though. No, there's no... So I think, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's no need to wait that long if they've recovered. Interesting. So that's interesting. But but yeah, I think if you've had a COVID infection, it doesn't seem that there's any contraindications to getting the vaccine as long as you are fully recovered. I think if if you're still testing positive for COVID on a PCR test, I would not get the vaccine. I would definitely wait until it is cleared. Right. I think mm. that's actually in the CDC recommendations too. But um I, yeah, at, at this point, I know a handful of people who had COVID, had recovered, and then got the vaccine. Um, and just from that anecdotal evidence, they've been perfectly fine with the vaccine. But I think now, how many people globally have had COVID? I don't know. <clears throat> Hundreds of millions? I think it's 130 million-ish. Wow. And probably a large chunk of those people have been vaccinated by now. So that's good. Not in Canada. I guess we should have uh, gone to Israel because Israel has vaccinated the majority of their population. Well, there was the, so the, Bloomberg did an article on that. You know what Netanyahu did? Basically, Netanyahu basically said, hey, you're going to need a wide, wide uh, scale. Um, I'm, I'm not paraphrasing. Um, this is obviously not verbatim, but basically he basically called up Pfizer and said, hey, we approved your, your vaccine. Um, I'm willing to pay $34 a shot if you if I get first dibs on everything. And that's exactly what happened. 
and they're open. They're on the beaches now. They're loving life. Yeah. They also agreed to give them the give them um, results and information and stuff like that, though I believe. Okay. So they kind of, a, a from what I understand, a, a test population, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense. I was actually reading an article today that says they have this thing called like a green pass or some sort of like electronic certificate on their phone that shows that they got the vaccine and they can use that to either scan in or check in when they go to places. So now you don't have to wear a mask and you can have like an indoor wedding um, and they have obviously indoor dining and parties and beaches and kind of like that pre-pandemic lifestyle as long as you have your green pass, wow. which is just such like, it's so what like- yeah, it's like post-apocalyptic to think of that as like the new norm, but they're trying it out. So if, if they never get another wave of COVID, then I guess it worked. We can't even get our hair cut. My wife cuts mine. Yeah, it's but I mean. <laughs> yeah, San Francisco is also like that. It, it's so weird, like seeing my friends on social media who live in other cities and they can like eat in a restaurant and they like I see them hanging out with friends like places that are definitely not outside and like people seeing family and I'm like wow I haven't done any of that in over a year and I can't even get my hair cut and it <laughs> needs to get re-dyed it's just a, I don't know what's going on here <laughs> but um <laughs> we went to a restaurant last Friday and then it shut down the next day so oh no yeah here we we have outdoor dining now in San Francisco. We've had that since January or February. So the outdoor dining is We've nice. We've got an igloo living for the next month. We can't even yeah. leave the house. How long is the lockdown wow. for, Trevor? Four weeks. 30 days, I think. Uh, hold on. Uh, stay at home order, close non-essentials. Oh, oh. Kids still going to school. Yeah, yeah, kids, are still going to school. yeah kids are still allowed to go to school as long as it's okay uh, in the region, right? So Peel's all shut down. Uh, cases right now worldwide are at 132 million, uh, 2.87 million deaths. Uh, here's some awful, awful statistics. As of April 6th, uh, only 6 million Canadians, 16% of our population have received one dose and uh, total percentage of 1.9%, 730,000, almost 731,000 uh, have been fully vaccinated as of April 6th. So yesterday's date. We are flying through the We're vaccination. Just it. We're killing it. Yeah. yeah. Just That's good interesting. That we put a lot of money into our healthcare. How is the rollout? Because even in the U.S., we're doing a little bit better. I think we're at a hundred million doses administered in the U.S. for at least one dose. You are at one hundred and thirty. Yeah, you are at one hundred and thirty million. Um, as of, I'll tell you, you're at thirty-five percent of the population. Uh, right now, so as of yesterday's date. The U.S., 33% uh, of the population, you've had 108,300,000 with at least one dose, and you are 19.2% of the population fully vaccinated, which is just over 63 million. So double our country. Okay. Double. Yeah. And we got 700. Double our country. They should be jabbing 24-7, 365 right now. We don't have, we don't have, the, do we don't have the doses. I know. So, 
Sarah can yeah, get Sarah them for can, us. Right? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> send them to Canada. You'll be the no, new. I have no hookups. I wish I did. <laughs> well, we we had uh, oh, we did our, our team conference that we do annually. We did it on Zoom two Wednesdays ago now, and uh, Dr. Sherry Cooper, our chief economist at Dominion Lending Centers, she's American, flew down with her husband down to uh, to Florida. They're staying at their condo, and they've been they. The day after they arrived, they had their first shot. Hmm. Wow. So, wow. If you got money, we can hop on a plane. We can go to the States, get it taken care of. And all we have to do is show a negative COVID test within 24 hours of hopping on a plane, right? Yep. Wow. I haven't been on a plane since February of 2020. Yeah, me too. It's been a while. I don't know so, when I'll go on one well, either. Yeah, but so would you, like, are you ever coming up, do you ever go to come up to Canada at all? Like, do you ever do that for business? No, I, I never have. I've been to Vancouver once when I was in college for, like, a trip. Um, with, Whistler? Uh, no, it was actually in January, so it was nice and cold. Um, <laughs> but I was coming from Wisconsin, so I actually brought, like, didn't bring warm things because it was so much colder in Wisconsin than Vancouver because Vancouver is nice and temperate and rainy speaking <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah I haven't I that was I was there for like a week so I did all the main tourist stuff um, in Vancouver but otherwise I haven't spent any time in Canada although I would like to maybe in the summer <laughs> yeah we're, we're, it's warm it's warm here and it's wine country here where we are do you like wine you're in San Francisco. You're you're right outside of the Russian Valley there. Like you're, oh. Do I like wine? That's the funniest <laughs> question I've ever. Yeah, I, I love wine. My boyfriend and I are both really into wine, and um, one of his pandemic hobbies actually was uh, becoming certified as a wine taster through the WSED. Yes. So he's WSET. So he has his WSET. Yeah. yeah. So he's a sommelier. Uh, yeah. Well, he he has his level three yep. certification. Yeah. Um, so yeah, level four is the highest it goes. And I guess level, level four is like, like a master's degree, basically. It's like two years. It's like a two year course. And like, so, so here's, here's a little thing you have to, you have to log on to your favorite streaming site, Netflix. Hi Netflix. If you want to take, if you want to carry our podcast, <laughs> uh, please do. We'd love to have it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and look for the um documentary called psalm and that is following someone doing their master's sommelier and it's like like you it's not even it's another level there's like literally yeah. a finite amount of people in the world like it's insane yeah i've i've seen psalm and psalm 2 i've tried watching psalm 2 twice and fell asleep both times but I like the idea of it. I like that they made the documentary, <laughs> but I love I love wine, and I I just feel like like actually learning the structure of wine, like how it's grown, what are the different techniques, what are all the different climates, like how it does soil, basically like what are all the factors and variables that go into wine, and like what are all the different wines of the world, and how do they taste, and you know all these factors. It just makes me appreciate it so much more and all the hard work and the farming and the like earth that goes into it. So I just feel like 
in order to fully like be grateful for the place that I live in, I need to learn about what makes wine. And it's been a super fun pandemic hobby. Who doesn't love drinking? But I've gotten really into it. And I love like the blind taste testing. I think like my boyfriend is more into learning like different, um, like kind of the textbook stuff. Like he's really good at all the different regions of France and the terroir. But I'm just kind of like, pour me a glass, don't tell me what it is and let me guess. <laughs> right. And I think I'm I'm like a little smidge better at that than he is, but he's definitely way better at like like rifling off names of grapes and all these different things. So we like to have a little competition going on every once in a while. And as soon as we can have friends over, we're gonna have a big dinner party and a big brown paper bag wine tasting blind test. It's gonna be so much fun and I can't wait to see people. It's great. Well, given that, oh, that cannabis is uh, legal recreationally in California, you could do that as well. Study up all the different strains. <laughs> yeah, I've heard people do that. Oh, oh yeah. I, I just feel like once I smoked out of one thing, I'd be like, okay, well now I, I don't know anything. So I I don't know. Yeah. I don't really use cannabis at all. Like maybe, I don't know, I'll try an edible like once every four to six months and then regret it. And then I'll <laughs> forget that I regretted it. And like four months later, I'll try it again. You're, like maybe I'll like it this you're time. You're talking to four sommeliers of the equivalency of pot up here on this podcast. <laughs> Not oh, me. I don't God. touch it. I don't touch it at all. Yeah, because he ate a, Three. a whole cookie one time. Yeah. It's too much for him. Yeah, a whole cookie, like seven cookies one time, green right out. I, I use it. I use it. To... I'm not a burnout, Sarah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'll have some wine or, or beers, shots, shots it's and great. tequila. Zero calories and sleep like a baby. It's oh, amazing. yeah. <laughs> Oh. I think it just like it complements some people's brain chemistry and it just doesn't work for other people. Oh, sure. And for yeah. me, I just it just doesn't work. It just creates like a thunderstorm in my brain and I don't like it and I don't sleep well and I feel weird and anxious and I don't know, just don't like you know, it. Have you, ever, have you ever been greened out or have a panic attack on it? You're done. You're done with it. See what the re yeah. I've had that a couple Since times. becoming legal in Canada, obviously it's made it a lot easier to experiment and and you know the difference in some strains like indica strains versus sativa strains you know high thc low thc high cbd low cbd right all that delta eight now all that stuff that goes into it figuring out and kind of learning and and knowing what works for you is uh i don't know bondo's probably on the same page as me as a more active don't be a playground pusher. If she doesn't want to do it, no, she doesn't have to do it. No, not a playground pusher at all. Just saying, hey. Oh, yeah. More, more kind of push you. Pretty much exclusively as on the weed. <laughs> I, like your the wine. Wine. I like the idea of like the CBD heavy ones, yeah. like where it's more CBD than THC yeah. or just CBD. Yeah. But like I'm also kind of just turned off by all those like CBD products because I feel like most of them are like not fake, but like they're not regulated in any way. Yeah. And like, who knows if the CBD is like degraded or of what quality or if it's soluble or like, I just don't know how to trust any of those things. So that I'm just like, well, I'm not gonna waste my money on it because yeah. I could just save money. I think it is regulated here. here yeah, it, the, the process, it's just, so in, yeah, we've got AGCO, 
right for for alcohol and gaming here and they also regulate the cannabis industry so things are very oh, okay. very well monitored and how like testing that goes into it extraction processes you name it it's very very extensive well, we, know, we know how to get trevor talking now hey eh? just start talking about weed <laughs> boom doesn't say anything for I about 40 minutes the bathroom or something? You see yeah I just let him smoke real quick here. and then boom no the trevor lindy show <laughs> well my grandma is 102 and she takes cbd drops under her tongue I believe it. that's right yeah cbd's uh, from my perspective uh i mean it's i'm an anxious person so it just kind of you know it helps with the anxiousness right so yeah i take it to sleep but the thc i, I get anxious just thinking i'm taking yeah. it yeah I, I greened out after like eating seven cookies one time and had like a meltdown and well, I used to smoke pot when I was younger all the time, but I had a, I had a green out one night and like, ooh, like mushrooms. Those are fun. I like that better, but what's, there was a few states in the last election that actually just uh, legalized medically and recreationally uh, psilocybin, right? Magic mushrooms. Yep. Really? Yeah. yeah. Good for, good for migraines. My buddy takes Pretty it for sure, migraines. Uh, like small, small micro dosing, but yeah, what, it. Uh, Colorado, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, I, sorry, I'm so. Colorado is pretty liberal. Yeah, so. magic mushroom. Yeah, uh, see, he's the podcast druggie. He loves it. He's just Oregon. Oregon. First state. First state recreational or medical? Uh, decriminalized and also legalize it for therapeutic use. First state. Therapeutic. Sarah, as much as you're teaching us, we're teaching you too. Wow. Right? You want to learn about drugs? I had no idea. I, I did know that <laughs> the the UCSF campus uh, in San Francisco, they just, I guess they just opened or just started a lab for psychedelic research, which is cool because it's now, you know, fully above board and they have some of the like best neuroscientists working on it. So it's cool progress, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I like to learn about it. I like the idea of using psilocybin therapeutically because, you know, I read those like the Michael Pollan book and various things and some documentaries and I definitely could see the therapeutic value in it um, from not just not like a trip out with your friends at a concert perspective. <laughs> that's Although fun that too. Is fun and oh, that's it, fun. And it's for a different reason, but but more for like, you know, guided psychotherapy to move past problems that you we're stuck otherwise, or don't want to use other more uh, mainstream medicines, you can maybe use a single dose of that instead. I think that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it, and, and for disorders like PTSD and severe anxiety and things where there just aren't good options, like why not use that if it works? Sure. Give it a shot. Sure, mushrooms were really fun, I can tell you that. <laughs> those, were, those were probably my favorite. You just I didn't like being in a crowd with them outside and you're in heaven. Yeah, I've never tried them, but um I think you can actually <laughs> they're legal to grow, I think, in California. Um yeah. but it's yeah. not legal to buy spores, but they are legal to grow. So if you magically obtain spores, I think you're allowed <laughs> to culture them. I'm pretty you sure there's it. lots of ways yeah, you can magically it. obtain spores now online. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, no, try I, um, well, we'll definitely don't want to take up much more of your time. 
thank you so much. But can we have you on again? Do you think we you'll be able to come on again? We'll we'll do mushrooms together oh, and do Jesus. a podcast. <laughs> That's going to be four hours of giggling, <laughs> just us talking. Oh yeah, <laughs> drooling, drooling there. Yeah, uh, that's I'll have to. Instead of being in my bedroom, I'm in my bedroom because it's the only place in my apartment that has a door. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll hear my boyfriend on his Zoom calls. But um, if we do that, I'm definitely going to go to Golden Gate Park and sit under a eucalyptus tree. <laughs> <laughs> and eat the eucalyptus leaves. Also that. That would be, Just be drooling there. Be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Bondo disappeared again. That will be, be great for, yeah, I don't know where Bondo went. That's forty. That's what happens. You turn forty. You got to pee yeah. a lot. Oh, that's he's forty-four. He's in the back. That's me. My whole life. It's like I'm the worst road trip partner because it's like every ninety minutes, it's like, okay, let's go to a gas station. No, that's my wife. Because every time we go on a road trip, she starts at Tim Hortons and has to pee like every fifteen minutes. After that's because you started at Tim Hortons. <laughs> oh my God, we're gonna get you like a diaper. <laughs> He wants to get a diaper just so she doesn't have to like stop anymore. I'm like, are you serious? I get it. Just don't drink the damn Tim Hortons. You pee in a diaper. That's gross. What's, That's for when we're 80, not for when we're in our 40s. What's Tim Hortons? Tim oh, Hortons is a... Uh, oh, that's like a Dunkin' Donut here. When you, before oh, you come yeah. to Canada, you got to Google come to Canada, that. you'd love yeah. it. Yeah. I would... Named after a hockey player. <laughs> so when the pandemic is over, can I come to Canada? We can do this live. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, add it to more. Yeah, add it to more. And you know what? We'll, 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 smoke even, get you, we'll even get you a sweet. We'll even get you a sweet view of the Niagara Falls. There you go. We might know yeah. a guy who knows a guy. Ooh, I would love that. Well, actually, according to the CDC, I can now travel domestically and internationally without getting a COVID test before or after travel, and I don't need to quarantine. There you go. Yeah. They I just wonder what they do at our border, though. If you're coming here. Because they aren't open yet. Mm, good question. We're with vaccination because we're uh, strict. Mm. No, well, you know I'm safe. Yeah, you know fine. there's like <laughs> next to zero restrictions when it's when it comes to flying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. unfortunately that's been our a big shortcoming of our process and procedure. Well, hopefully next time we talk with you, we'll all be jabbed too, and then we can arrange something like that where we can do a wine tasting in uh, Niagara on the Lake and then go to Niagara Falls. Oh, that'd the be cool. Distillery tour. That'd be awesome. Tour. You can watch these three get stoned in Passota in the middle of the park in Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah, I would love to try some Canada wine. I, I've been reading all about it because, well, with climate change and everything, I guess Canada is becoming much more favorable to grow grapes. Right. Um, same yeah. with like Pacific Northwest. And I don't know, maybe Canada is the next Napa. Well, well, it's killing our ice wine because we're not getting some serious winters anymore. Yeah. <laughs> in here, so that's tough now. But yeah, our, we'll have to do that. I think that'd be cool. Our yeah. region is pretty pretty high in grape growing as well yeah. for terms of Canada, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. We're the I, new Napa Valley. I don't think I've <laughs> ever had Canadian wine now that I think of it. Try Ontario wine. Ontario. I'm going to look for that at the little wine shop near my house because I always like to try like new little, like I've been really into South African wine lately. Oh yeah. Um, that's really good. And just kind of ex diversifying my portfolio outside of California. What do we got for wineries yeah. in, in Southern Ontario here? We've got a 70 different wineries at oh, least. Yeah. Uh, close to hundred now. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good wines here. The ladies love it. 
Wow. Oh, that reminds me. It's Wine Wednesday. There you go. <laughs> I get, me and my boyfriend get really excited about Wednesday nights because that's when we can start drinking wine. We and are you a red wine drinker or a white wine? Um, I like all wine. <laughs> <laughs> Just not mixed together, right? Well, even, you know, homemade rosé is not the worst thing. <laughs> oh, um, but I would say I'm more red, but... We usually don't drink anything Sunday through Tuesday um, just to, you know, have a solid chunk of a cleanse every week. But then Wednesday's Wine Wednesday and we get super excited. That's a good hump day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got get blasted Saturday, so. <laughs> Says the guy who earlier in this conversation told us, well, I really yeah, want to drink once or well, twice a month. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, yeah, once or twice. Well, I do, though, but, but on Saturdays yeah. when I do it, because I, I think I stay away from now, a so. hit of THC because I greened out one time, but I get blasted on Saturday nights. Don't even remember my name. <laughs> yeah, because that's going to be good. I don't remember my name. I don't get that blasted. Not, not when I was in my 20s anymore, but I'll have a good hangover on Sunday. Usually. <laughs> Yeah, what Not the last time. In the pandemic, I have to say, like, I still drank a lot more than I expected for having no social life. Yeah. I'll, I'll give Brandon credit, though. He talked me into Guinness, and now I'm, I like the Guinness beer. Oh, I like That's Guinness. That's a good, nice. Yeah, you can eat it with a fork. Everybody jokes about yeah, it, but I find it super smooth. <laughs> I find it super smooth. That was some shots of DiSerono. Woo! Hey, Brando, I just gave you credit on your Guinness. Oh, Guinness is great. It was your sales pitch that got me on it. You have two pints and then you're two good to go. And, and then oh. the third pint, you're hooked. And it's yep. the healthier yep. No, beer. that's all I drink is Guinness. Guinness and some so Patrons. When you're sitting down and drinking Guinness, Ooh. how do you get to the third pint? I'm full after one. Really? <laughs> I, yeah, I disagree. I find it. I find going to like a, an MGD now or something like that is like drinking Oh, hundred water. And it's more gassy. But, but I find it the, the smoothest beer going, the Guinness one now. Like, it's so so milky smooth when you pour it. That's the good stuff. The Irish know what they're doing. They certainly do. Yeah. I, the Some Irish convinced me to take a shot of whiskey yesterday. Cause, so I've been swimming in the, in the bay and in the Pacific Ocean, like, a whole bunch. Because that's my recent pandemic hobby. And sometimes I swim with this group called the Irish Pod. Um, a lot of them are Irish, but some of them aren't. But they go on these like really hardcore swims. Nobody wears a wetsuit. They're in the water for like an hour plus. They're all fast and like just hardcore, um, just like tough as nails, cold water swimmers. And then they take shots of Jameson afterwards. <laughs> you got to warm up somehow. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. So you got Whiskey Tuesdays and then Wine Wednesdays and then what's Thursdays? Well, Beer Thursdays. So Whiskey Tuesday is kind of a problem because I'm not supposed to drink alcohol Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So yesterday <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm having a dilemma because I'm with the it's a Irish pandemic pod. lifestyle. You yeah. had to warm up. You had to yeah. warm up. So Thursdays, I guess just Thirsty Thursday. Thursdays like finish whatever we didn't finish on yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> and then Friday... <laughs> So Friday after well, Friday's work, the weekend, so you gotta yeah. Yeah, Fridays I tend to drink a little too much because um, after work on Fridays I swim with my um, like my main swim pod at China Beach with this is like little secluded like, kind of hidden beach in San Francisco that not many people know about and it's um, dangerous for swimming but also super awesome if you know the conditions and are a strong swimmer. Um, but I do that every Friday after work and it's just so fun and it's just so awesome to be in the cold water and the waves and just go for an hour swim. And then we'll bring like 
really nice wine and cheese, like, you know, bottles of wine from like 1990s, early 2000s. There's some people who are, you know, we're, we're cracking 20 year old bottles of wine pretty frequently, like really high end stuff on this grimy little beach cement platform. And then <laughs> people will make like homemade bread and bring like, but really that's living. Cheeses. That's yeah, living right like, there. I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah, it's like super grimy and gnarly and windy and cold, but also like uh like extra deluxe in terms of like the gourmet factor. <laughs> well, 20 Brando and I drank a, Brando and I drank a nice bottle of wine out of Dixie Cups. Remember, Brand? <laughs> oh what? When when uh when Dr. Mac uh opened yeah. up back vintage of Massey Amaroni. That, tell, tell that to your um, your your W set three boyfriend now, Sarah. So we, yeah. we got we were up at the cottage. It's this boys trip, just a little golf trip that we do. And so we got a buddy. He's from Newfoundland. He's a he's a Cairo, um, and uh, you know he's just a goofy Newfie. We, we love him to death. And so he brings he brings Beauty. a. So I got him. We're opening up his practice him and his wife i bought a like oh five five star vintage of massey amaroni so it'd be about a hundred dollar bottle now like when you when you sell it he, we wow. we're, we're like we're blitzed right like we're like we're i'm writing it down yeah matt massey <laughs> m-a-s-i and then amaroni is the the, the type of wine and okay it was an 05 bag vintage, and Dr. Mac whips out some Dixie cups and freaking cracks the bottle. And then he just like, we all start drinking this high end bottle of Amaroni through Dixie cups. And we're like, all right, well, I guess that's what we're going to do. And then he passed out. We put popcorn all over him. And then, because he started like chirping us that we weren't drinking and keeping up with the Newfie, uh, which they can drink. To be fair, they they can. They're they're good. They're known for that. And uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Love 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 I, Newfoundlanders. Love them. Love them. Beauties. Yeah. If you want to go to a nice place in Canada, go to Newfoundland or PEI. That's gorgeous out there. Yeah, Ooh. yeah that's yeah, prime time. Too. I can't say I've ever had nice wine out of a Dixie cup before, but I have had like. <laughs> Um, plenty of shots of whiskey and stuff just from you know college and also just like work happy hours and stuff like didn't have anything available so we would drink it out of little Dixie cups and like the high alcohol content like melts the waxy stuff <laughs> so the bottom turns like clear and starts leaking I'm like oh this is not good <laughs> well, at least you're putting that in your body right yeah <laughs> sure hilarious Oh, all right. Well, let's set it up for next time. Then when she can come to Canada, we'll do a live one. I think that'd be cool if we can have a freaking that'd pandemic. Awesome. That'd be awesome. And if I, Absolutely. if I can't, if it's not going to happen in the near future, certainly happy to do another one of these. Yes. From my yeah. bedroom. And then we can, we yeah, can, after, after we get, and we can have your swimming because yeah. you're a big swimmer and we can touch on that the next episode. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I don't think I was even a swimmer last time I talked to you guys, but I was just sort of overwhelmed with life and stress starting in like October from work and oh, that's just recent. In the ocean well, we'll save we'll save that to the next one. We'll save because that's I know like yeah, that's come on, I follow you on the gram. We'll have our pools open. As, as the kids say the gram. What'd you say? Let's do uh, it, Collins. 
we'll all have our pools open yeah. too so Ooh, yeah. i'm not a pool swimmer so i'm curious to try one out but <clears throat> we'll see best. curry's just got dropped in his backyard last week landscaping's happening mine goes in in uh end of may beginning of june Ooh, and the other two already have one yep I'm getting another one. I'm ordering another one, though. <laughs> Norellan Pools, buddy. Well, you guys are I think crazy. I'm going to. So, but thanks very much for uh, popping by. Yeah. We all, we like, we love having yeah. you. It's great. It's awesome. And yeah. thanks for telling us your alcohol, uh, your habits now. Now we know. <laughs> don't, don't do it on a Wednesday. <laughs> Why thanks, Wednesday? Sarah. All right. Thanks, guys. This is super fun. Talk to you next okay. time. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. And Vonda, you want to close us out? Help us help you stay informed. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. He had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Hey, yay! Hey, yay! Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.